we are doing a disservice if we don't have events like this. On tonight's KRBD Evening Report, will Drag Queen Storytime return to the Ketchikan Public Library this June? It's unclear. Plus, Northwest shellfish growers in Washington's oyster capital want a blitz against invasive green crabs. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. Tonight, rain with lows in the mid-30s and southeast winds to 20 miles an hour. On Saturday, rain with highs in the mid-40s and southeast winds to 30 miles an hour. Saturday night, rain with lows in the mid-30s, south winds to 20 miles an hour. On Sunday, rain showers, highs around 40 and south winds to 20 miles an hour. And Sunday night, rain showers with lows in the mid-30s and south winds to 20 miles an hour. It's the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone. Drag Queen Storytime is set to return to the Ketchikan Public Library this June as part of the library's Pride Month festivities. That's according to the library's director. It would be the library's second time hosting a drag queen for a reading. But the city manager who oversees the library director says no final decision has been made. Last June, the Ketchikan Public Library held its first-ever Drag Queen Storytime to celebrate Pride Month. The event was so popular that the library had to add two additional readings to accommodate everyone who wanted to attend. KRBD spoke with some of the attendees shortly after last year's event, including 12-year-old Kehlani Clevenger. I loved it. I loved how open they were and that how you could be anything you want to be. But the library's decision to host a drag queen for Storytime sparked weeks of debate among community members and elected officials. Opponents told the Ketchikan City Council, which oversees the library, that a drag queen reading was inappropriate for young children. Supporters said the event promoted self-acceptance. Ketchikan City Attorney penned a 10-page memo amid the debate over last year's event, saying that an attempt by the City Council to bar drag queen readings from the library could violate local, state, and federal anti-discrimination protections. The Council ultimately voted 5-2 to two to allow the event to go forward as planned. And it was a hit, according to Library Director Pat Tully at the time. This, I think, is probably the biggest story time we've ever had. But the backlash continued after the reading, and it spurred a ballot proposition aiming to defund Ketchikan's library. The sponsor said the push was at least partly inspired by the drag queen reading. The measure was tied to attacks on rural residents, and only residents of the traditionally conservative precincts outside of Ketchikan and Saxman city limits were eligible to vote. Still, voters ultimately rejected the proposal by a 13-point margin. Planning for this year's Pride celebration at the library started shortly after last year's Storytime event. But Tully said in a recent interview that earlier this year, city manager Delilah Walsh told her that the library should not play a direct role in hosting a Drag Queen Storytime. That it shouldn't be something that the library sponsored. Um, that it was totally fine as any nonprofit group can come in and use the um, large meeting room, reserve the lar- large meeting room, but that Um, the library um, shouldn't sponsor it. Tully said that by not sponsoring the event, Walsh hoped to address the concerns of people who opposed last year's reading. I believe the idea was that um, the city uh, needed to be responsive to um, the entire community, including those who felt had some concerns about a drag queen story time. As of Friday afternoon, Walsh had not addressed KRBD's repeated requests to discuss internal deliberations surrounding Drag Queen Story Time. That move prompted the Ketchikan Pride Alliance, a local LGBTQ education and outreach nonprofit, to send a letter to Walsh asking for an explanation. J.D. Martin is the group's president. The Ketchikan Pride Alliance's mission is to provide education, support, and aid to the local LGBTQ community and their allies. And so we do a lot of 
and support free training, education. Our, our goal is to reduce conflict in the community. So when we heard about this, we thought it might be valuable for us to seek some clarification from the city manager. After obtaining a copy of the group's letter, KRBD asked Walsh for a response on Wednesday. Walsh replied, asking for time to review the letter. Pressed for answers on Thursday, Walsh again asked for additional time to review the letter and speak with the Pride Alliance about the organization's questions. On Friday morning, though, Tully said Walsh changed course and told her in a phone call that the library would, after all, be allowed to sponsor a story reading featuring a drag queen. But late Friday afternoon, Walsh told KRBD in an email that no final decision had been made. Tommy Varela was the star of last year's Storytime, reading the book The Hips on the Drag Queen Goes Swish, 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 as his drag alter ego Luna. Luna read from the book and led children through some simple dance moves, not unlike a traditional librarian-led Storytime. Varela said that events like Drag Queen Storytimes are essential to supporting LGBTQ community members, especially children. I mean, we have students who are transgender and identifying as transgender in our elementary schools in Ketchikan, Alaska. We are doing a disservice if we don't have events like this to show queer youth that there are queer adults in here who are living in town, who are living lives, who are living successful lives, who are living happy lives, because that's what happens with when there's not that representation for queer youth is they don't see a future in which they can be happy. Martin, the Pride Alliance president, emphasized that readings aimed at children are very different from drag shows intended for adults. You know, they will be typically wearing like a like a, a, a big dress and lots of makeup. Um, and it is in no way, um, you know, inappropriate for, for, an, for an audience. Um, and then they read a story, again, an age appropriate story. I think sometimes we forget that like any form of art form can be for children or for adults, like in the same way some books are for kids and some are for adults. Similar events have taken place at libraries in Juneau since 2017. The city manager's office does not typically seek to vet library programming, according to Tully. Though Martin said she's pleased that a library-sponsored drag queen reading will be allowed to go forward, Martin said she'd like clarification on whether other city departments are required to submit their activities to the city manager's office for approval. It still seems unusual that the library is not allowed to create its own programming D to my understanding like like the library and the and the people who work there are experts in their field Walsh did not respond to KRBD's emailed questions on the subject the debate over Pride programming comes as policymakers have scrutinized LGBTQ programming in schools and other public institutions, especially those aimed at children. A wave of legislation in states across the country has also sought to limit the rights of children to seek gender-affirming care or use public facilities corresponding to their gender identity. In Alaska, Governor Mike Dunleavy recently introduced a bill that would bar transgender students from using restrooms that match their gender identities and would limit students' ability to use their preferred names and pronouns in school without their parents' permission. But Tully, the library director, said the scrutiny from the city manager was understandable, given the controversy over last year's story time. Naturally, they're going to be more um, interested and concerned when something like that, that happens, rather than our normal slate of, of programs, which, you know, you know, everybody says, oh, it's really lovely, and <laughs> we had a great time. Um, uh, you know, this was more controversial, and so I think that's where the um, city um, became more concerned. Tully said Friday morning that she plans to announce the time and date of the drag queen reading soon. 
Last year, observers found invasive European green crabs in Metlakatla. They've been a scourge of West Coast communities, including Willapa Bay in southwest Washington, the self-styled oyster capital of the world. Shellfish growers on that bay are alarmed by an invasion of green crabs, and they want more action against what is a coastwide problem. Northwest News Network correspondent Tom Bonsi reports from the waters of Willapa Bay. Okay, there we have some green crab right off the bat. Warren Cowell owns Willapa Bay Shellfish. He and other oyster and clam growers are hunting down invasive European green crabs. 14, 16. On the state's dime, Cowell's crew hauls up and empties dozens of traps placed around the commercial clam and oyster beds offshore of Nakata, Washington, the square mesh traps come up, filled mostly with juvenile native Dungeness crabs, but sprinkled in are darker colored, slightly differently shaped green crabs. Crew member Nico Hora sorts by hand and tosses the native Dungeness back, all the while trying not to get pinched. Yeah, that's why I have to be careful with it, <laughs> especially with the Dungeness. The green crab, they don't pinch you that hard, but Dungeness will. <laughs> the crew collected 109 green crabs in less than two hours. And that's it. With over a year of trapping, our numbers still are, are very high. Encouragingly, though, it's down from a peak seen last fall. The undesirable European green crabs will be frozen to death and then sent to a landfill. Cowell says the state's trapping numbers show the shallow, sheltered saltwater bay has become a hot spot for the invasive green crabs. So they'll eat all the shellfish if they, if they get established, then move on to everything else that they can eat, all the habitat, the, the, the eelgrass, which is so important. And they even take that out eventually. So what's at stake here is, is Willapaw Bay as a whole the whole ecosystem and everything that it contributes. According to the Pacific Shellfish Institute, Washington State is by far the largest producer of manila clams in the U.S. and a leading producer of oysters. More than two-thirds of the state's oysters come from Willapa Bay. The shellfish industry is the largest private employer in Pacific County, too. State biologists and the local growers say crab trapping is presently the only way to control the invaders that threaten that bounty. Cowell is calling for a trapping blitz this year. We're, we're, we're at the tipping point if we haven't passed it. And so we have to trap and trap as aggressively as we possibly can, at least to hold the line until we can come up with better solutions which is along the lines of how the state Fish and Wildlife Department is thinking about this. Alan Ployce is the state's aquatic invasive species manager. He says his agency has spare traps and is hiring more seasonal help this year to protect specific high-value sites. They've also hired a research scientist to target green crabs. This is a problem that's going to persist for a long time, and... We're looking at long-term solutions. What are the genetic possibilities for uh, creating, you know, like sterile males or, you know, some other method that we could use? Ploy says local control seems possible, but eradication at the statewide level is not a realistic goal because ocean currents are constantly resupplying green crab larvae from afar they get repopulated by larvae coming from the south and coming from the north, and there's just no bottleneck for that larvae. 
While Washington and British Columbia are battling the European crabs, Oregon's Department of Fish and Wildlife is taking a different tack. They're just monitoring and letting recreational crabbers go after them. The invaders are edible, but have little meat in their shells and don't grow as large as Dungeness crabs, so they're generating minimal interest from sports fishers. Oregon's shellfish program leader says several state agencies are now trying to figure out if Oregon should begin an active control effort, too. I'm Tom Bonsi in Nakata, Washington. And that's all for tonight's edition of the KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can get the show as a podcast on your favorite podcast app or on your smart speaker by asking it to play the KRBD Evening Report. Stay tuned for the latest installment of One Poem a Day Won't Kill You, KRBD's annual series celebrating National Poetry Month. I'm Eric Stone. Welcome to One Poem a Day Won't Kill You, KRBD's annual celebration of National Poetry Month. Hello, this is Karen Peterson from Thorn Bay, Alaska, and I am going to read the poem Nothing Gold Can Stay by Robert Frost. Nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold, her early leaf a flower, but only so an hour, then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief, so dawn goes down by day, Nothing gold can stay. Stay tuned for more of One Poem a Day Won't Kill You throughout the month of April here on KRBD Ketchikan.